BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised, press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. Anya, what did we just watch? Well, Kevin, we just watched an episode of the Ellery of Ellery Queen uh, called "The Adventure of the Comic Book Crusader," which was the first. I'm sorry, which was the which was the fourth episode of season one of this show, first and only season that aired on October second, nineteen seventy five. Uh, the show was created by uh, Levinson and Link, who are perhaps best remembered for their work on Columbo. Did a lot of other great shows. They're terrific writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ellery is played by uh, the very charming Jim Hutton. Great actor. 
Love Charm to burn. And he uh, lives with his father, who's a police inspector, played by a very gruff but lovable David Wayne. What if there was an NYPD detective whose large, adult, awkward son was a crime novelist and they teamed up to solve crimes in the 40s? <laughs> and it's an old-fashioned fair play mysteries where the audience is given all the clues to the particular mystery and literally a few minutes before the end, Ellery turns to the camera, breaks the so-called fourth wall, and challenges the viewer to solve the crime. It's a really cute show. I think that's a good way to describe it. It's cute. It's like cozy. It's just kind of like a cozy mystery show. And I, I've, I've been delighted to watch some of this, you know. I think, I think we, we've seen a couple of episodes so far. This is my first introduction to it, really, watching it with Kevin. I think there were a couple of, maybe like one dud, but the rest of them have just been, like, charming. Do you have any history with the Ellery Queen character? Not at all. Never heard of it before. Never heard of Ellery Queen. You said that the character itself, uh, himself has, has quite a long and uh, baffling history. There's different iterations of the character in the early ones. He's kind of uh, a Philo Vance type where he's kind of like a rich playboy type. In others, he's a writer in Hollywood. In others, he's like a novelist living in a small town named Wrightsville. In others, he's living with his father. Uh, they were written by a, a pair of cousins who had very tumultuous relations with one another. They don't really get along. At one point, one of them got writer's block, and so they farmed a bunch of books credited to Ellery Queen out to ghostwriters who would write the books about other characters, but still signed them Ellery Queen. Most of those books are by all uh, standards quite poor and probably damaged the reputation of the character, which is why he's uh, the character, to some extent, is largely forgotten, which is why people of your generation... Don't know who it is. Don't know who it is. That's too bad. I mean, th this show though is is quite charming, you know. And I'm like, I'm gonna say, I think the thing that makes it works, some of the performances are great, and some of these characters are a lot of fun. And the uh, central figure, Ellery Queen, is like this really tall, awkward guy. Now, this guy, th what's what's the actor's name? Jim Hutton. He's the father of Tim Hutton who played Archie Goodwin in a recent uh, series of Nero Wolf books, so novels. Th this guy, this guy is, he's an actor. He's, he's handsome. He's a, he's a good looking guy. Hey. No, I, he's, he's nothing on you. But I'm saying like, you know, but oftentimes when like Hollywood tries to be like, oh, these people are awkward. It's like a very attractive person who's just like wears glasses. And that's, that's what goes with awkward. This guy gives off actually charmingly awkward vibes. And I think that's harder to do than you think. And so I... I like that. This guy just seems like a like a like he he hangs out with his dad and his dad's friends in the department, and he's always being embarrassed and humiliated. And it's just like, what's going on with this guy's life? Everyone in the police department calls him Maestro. I I haven't gotten to an episode where they explain that yet, but I assume that that's what everyone called him when he was like a bossy five year old who'd hang around the station. And it's just like, this is so fucking cute. I'm gonna die. Like, what is this? <laughs> Does he have a girlfriend? Like, what? Like, what? Why is he back from the war? I want to know more about this character. I'm sure we don't get that much into it because it's only lasted a season, but I'm digging it. Yeah, I think the charm of Hutton and David Wayne carries the show. 
Yeah. And Although there were some supporting actors, one <laughs> yes. in particular, where you you were constantly yelling at me to push pause so you could write down some lines. So Kevin, if you're Ellery Queen, because you're you're a charming, handsome, but awkward guy who's you know has a literary bent, a bit of an intellectual, you might say, uh, but you know, but kind of, but a little off, awkward, a little bit, you know. People like you, but maybe maybe you kind of trip over your own shoes once in a while. Hey! <laughs> but to to your Ellery Queen, uh, I'm I'm Flanagan, the who's a- Flanagan, the agent of chaos reporter who constantly uses his own name as a verb and makes up ridiculous headlines at the drop of a hat, and is always ranting and raving and doing crazy things. And like that sounds really annoying, but it's actually really fun, at least for me, because I because you're the one doing it. <laughs> this is like the your little Flanagan esque Spitfire. Yeah, the 1940s male version of me, in Kevin's mind, at least he sees me as one of those sassy reporter dames from an old co- comedy film. <laughs> in real life, I'm just a boring dud. <laughs> but if it entertains him, then that's fine. No, he's great. I love him. Uh, he he's always he's always kind of ha- it, it just it's just a fun group of characters. Are there other characters you get to know on the side other than him or uh John Hillerman who plays uh, uh Higgins on Magnum PI. Yeah, he yeah. plays kind of a, a radio detective who's a bit of a rival. Oh yeah, I saw an episode with him. He was fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a good show. You- I think people who like mysteries would probably like this show. Especially if people like the so-called fair play mystery where you get all the clues. Yeah. If you like fair play, kind of like kind of cozy stuff, I think. And, and if people are interested, uh, try to dig up some of the old Elder Queen novels. Uh, the ones set in the town of Wrightsville are pretty good. The ones where he's a Hollywood writer are pretty good. Uh, you like those fair play type mysteries. And literally in a lot of those books, he he does the same thing he does in the show where he challenges the reader. I suck at fair play mysteries, though. And sometimes uh, it's all he, fun and games until you humiliate yourself. Sometimes they'll even do like a double solution where they'll give you a, a solution that fits all the clues. And they say, now, wait a minute. There's one thing that doesn't quite fit. So the real solution is this. Uh, get your hopes up and then dash them all over the floor. <laughs> I really always felt like I sucked at Fair Play Mysteries, Re- like, as a kid. Like, I always, like, the ones, I mean, like, because I didn't really, I mean, I don't know if I read a lot of them back then, where I'd, I'd read, like, Nancy Drew, where it's like, oh, if someone was rude to Nancy in a department store, that's probably the bad guy. That's not really Fair Play. That's just, like, the world revolves around her, and apparently everyone <laughs> who's, you know, any perceived slight results in somebody being guilty of some sort of art smuggling, you know, crimes... But, like, yeah, I, I feel like typically I don't pay enough attention to details to be good at these. But I did, for the record, get the right answer for this episode. You did. And we'll you discuss it. We'll discuss my moment of triumph. What kind of, if, you don't, if you're not a fair play mystery fan, what kind of mysteries do you do? I, I didn't say I wasn't a fair play mystery fan. I said I, I'm good. I, I, I'm, I said I'm not good at them. So I'm always like, oh, yeah, we can solve the mystery ourselves. And then we get to doing it. And I'm like stressed out. I'm like sweating. <laughs> I've got I've got bags under my eyes. You know, you know how we got one. So re- Kevin for Christmas um, purchased me a very cool uh, gift. It was one of those like sort of mystery packages where like you you're the detective and it gives you all these evidence and like you go around and kind of like figure it out 
yourself. You're like a Hollywood detective in the 40s or something. I'm very generous. He's a very, he's a sweet, sweet man because he knew what I'd enjoy it. And, and we, we really enjoyed playing this together. And uh, <laughs> at the end, we kind of had figured out what happened. You know, Kevin had a pretty good thesis. And I was so paranoid that we get it wrong that I made us basically go... The, the the game equivalent of literally wandering around the streets looking in windows. Because <laughs> I just wanted to make sure we didn't miss anything. And we hadn't. And we hadn't, so it was totally pointless. So that that's, that's the kind of energy I bring to Fair Play Mysteries. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Perhaps you should check out some of the works of one Ellery Queen. See if I can boost my confidence in the Fair Play Mystery Department. Some of the early ones, in order to get them, you have to have really esoteric knowledge. Hello, have you met me? Do you know ancient Phoenician? Uh, of course, no. Are there any ones about Jamestown? <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't get that. Ancient Phoenician? What other, like, what other topics would he get into? <laughs> Those are like the really early ones. The balls on that guy. Wouldn't I be so mad if I were reading that? You mad? You normally take things uh in stride. Yeah. Well, I don't think you like feeling uh you know, feeling like you've been had either with ancient Phoenician and stuff. It's just weird that they didn't keep the character consistent. Was there ever an explanation of why that was? I think they were just trying to keep it uh whatever the current whatever the trends work. <laughs> Ellery Queen is probably best remembered now because he, uh, one of the uh, Ellery Queen writers, uh, edited the Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine, which I believe is still being published today. Oh, okay. So, so people people might still be familiar in that sense. All, what we need to do is we need to get some really like you know like a sexy Ellery Queen revival on like the CW or something. <laughs> or maybe have him be a big tough crime fighter who punches people out like in a comic book. You see what oh. I did there? Oh! Now, of course, Kevin is a big comic book expert, I would say. I wouldn't say you're a fan. I'd say you know a lot about the subject in addition to enjoying comic books. So that's why we picked this episode, because it's all about the comic book industry and how... All about the comic how book How predatory industry. and awful it is for people who work inside of it. Uh, the people who work on staff at comic book publishers are abused... And sexually harassed and perhaps even sexually assaulted by awful editors who just take advantage of them and belittle them, mock them, piss all over them. All you Marvel fans worship a false god of exploitation of workers. Spit. <laughs> it's true, right? I mean, right? Isn't a lot of the Marvel fandom nowadays kind of distasteful to you given how poorly it treated the people who... Like your Jack Kirby, your yeah. Steve Ditko. The people but who gave be... you the characters that you love, 
for many years, uh, the creators of Superman were also taken advantage of by DC Comics. Mm-hmm. So it's not just Marvel. They all suck. There's no ethical consumption here. <laughs> Jesus. That's the end of the episode, folks. <laughs> Gosh, you're fun. <laughs> now, well, this is it's called Capricorn Comics. This This episode centers around uh, one Capricorn Comics, fictional comic book house. And the guy that runs it, the guy who is the man in charge, is played by lovable character actor Tom Bosley, who is perhaps best remembered by audiences young and old for his turtive force performance in the Broadway musical Fiorello. <laughs> and he also did a little bit of television work. Uh, I think he was in a show called Happy Days, playing a guy <laughs> named Mr. C. Obscure. <laughs> So is Mr. C, is that like... Clive Cussler? <laughs> well, are you Miss C? I guess I am. You're little Miss C. I'm little Miss C. I'm married, Kevin, to you. <laughs> I'm Mrs. G. Jeez, that sounds terrible. God. Mrs. G. Now I'm all depressed. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. <laughs> Mrs. G. Miss C. Miss C is classy. She's on the go. She's smart. A little intimidating. It's a hot young thing. Mrs. G. I don't know. I don't, I'm over the hill here. <laughs> well, you know why? Because wasn't uh, Edna Garrett, the matronly uh, house mother on Facts of Life? Oh, God. Wasn't she referred to as Mrs. G? This again. What do you mean this again? When you ask me questions about shows I never watched. You were glued to the facts of life as a little girl. You were just like Joe. <laughs> young streetwise punk. <laughs> I, I never, I've never seen a single episode of facts of, my, of life in my life. Are you more like uh, the patrician young Blair? Apparently I'm Mrs. G. We're lovable, Natalie. Oh my God. Or Tootie is always ready to crack a joke. Jesus. Played by lovable Kim Fields. These were your friends growing up, right? They were everybody's friends. Jeez. So, not a lot of friendliness going on in this in this opening scene because. So they have the editor looking at some. Well, I guess actually what happens first yes. is Ellery Queen has discovered that this company is publishing a comic book about him, which he didn't know about, didn't knowingly consent to. Unauthorized. But it turns out it wasn't unauthorized because his contract with his book publisher gives him the right to do comic books about them. Kevin says, you're shit out of luck, man. That's the lawyer's <laughs> Seal of approval. So does that happen? Like, you work for a big New York publisher, mm -hmm. Insider. Is there, like, a clause in your contract letting them do comic oh, books yeah, about you? Always doing comic books making me look like a doofus. Oh, I, there's even an Ani comic, a comic strip where I'm always the butt of the joke for Insider. I I would be delighted. If, I think Insider does once in a while some comic comic drawing stuff. So I mean, Are they about you? Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I've never looked at them, but I assume they're about me. What else would they draw stuff about? <laughs> no, they're not about me. I think they're about news events. Well, you get involved in news events all the time. Oh, yeah, I get caught about it. I become the story. 
rather than the uh, person reporting it, like yeah. Flanagan. You're really like Flanagan. I in think many I'm going to start impersonating Flanagan and go to some top editors and just be like, you know what, you know, Toots, you should you should have me in the in the bright lights in the comics. That's where the future reporting is, and have them fire me immediately, presumably. <laughs> I'll wear like a hat with a press badge in it. <laughs> if people were doing an unauthorized comic series on you, Kevin, what would be what would be the your worst fears about how that, <laughs> about how that would turn out? Uh, I would be concerned that it would blow the lid off our relationship. Elaborate. Elaborate on that. Our private life is our own concern. We have our little secrets. I don't know what I'm doing. I no one does, Kevin. Are you worried it'd be like a inappropriate comics book? Are you asking me if I think it'd be like a sex comic? That's what you're sort of alluding to. <laughs> you said, I don't want it to go into our little secrets. <laughs> Is that what you're worried? It would be smart. So it would be like a Tia Anya Bible. See, Tijuana Bibles are little sex comics. But it'd be a Tia Anya Bible because it would be about you. Kevin Greenlee. You signed your name on a contract that allows people to publish smut about us? Well, you know, anything for a buck. Oh, my God. You're such a... What a lout. So, Kevin, what would be, what would be, your, <laughs> what would be your worst fears for some, someone gets a hold of your, your name and your, the, you know, the license to publish the Kevin Greenlee story? What's worst case scenario for you? Worst case scenario... <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I lead such an adventurous life. Just, just the uh, a bland recital of my daily life would be enough to thrill the kids of a nation. <laughs> Super lawyer. <laughs> Those think kids would really be inspired by my uh, chivalrous antics. What would it be like? Kids, uh, kids doing like we're gonna put Tweety Bird on our lemonade, and you swooping in and be like, you can't do that, kids. That's copyrighted. <laughs> They're like, okay, and then you fly away, and they're like, ugh. Everybody loves the lawyer. The lawyer always gets the girl? Yeah. The lawyer's hot stuff? Is that what people say? Is that the word on the street? I got you, so I must be doing something right. <laughs> oh, Kevin, I think the fact that you got me is some sort of cosmic punishment. <laughs> I think if I, my nightmare, my nightmare, like, being in a comic strip would be, I don't know, like, being in a comic strip at all. I just think that would be kind of embarrassing. And I, I think, I, I don't know, maybe, I think a lot of, when, I, when we go to the comic book store together, I look around, and some of the art styles are like, okay, I, I can, I can fuck with this, I dig this. And then a lot of them are like, these people don't look, they don't look good at all, I don't like this, I don't like the faces. You know, it's just something off-putting about it to me. So I think that if I got in one of those art styles I didn't like, I would be very offended about how I looked. <laughs> well, you'd probably make sure you control your image and your likeness. You'd have approval of such matters. 
Unless he signed one of these bizarre contracts. That old Ellery got into. See, I don't understand why... So Ellery Queen writes mystery novels, crime stories geared towards an adult audience. Yes. So, and it's unclear if the stories he writes have him as a character. Yeah, we don't know. It may just be he writes them. Yeah. So it would be like today, say, Michael Connolly, <laughs> a noted mystery writer <laughs> who writes mystery stories about a middle-aged detective named Bosch. Somehow the wool gets pulled over young Michael's eyes and he has to sit back and allow a comic book to be published about the exciting adventures of Michael Connolly punching out criminals. So why would you think I'd probably read that. But why would you think kids would be interested in a juvenile version of something created for adults? I think you just want to use any excuse to talk about Bosch. <laughs> Kevin loves Bosch. <laughs> I don't know. It's really bizarre. I mean, were they kind of just spoofing on Dick Tracy here? That's sort of what I assumed. Where they're talking about is like they're drawing Ellery and the the, the, the comic book, the sleazy comic book guy is sort of like Oh, you, you know, like, who are you? And Ellery Queen's like, I'm Ellery Queen. He's like, no, your jaw's too weak, and you're not tough-looking enough. And it, like, I, I thought they were sort of parodying. Not, not, not the Dick Tracy <laughs> show. No, but, like, those, like, kind of cliched takes on the detective. Dick Tracy's its own thing. I know that's not shitty. No disrespect. I know that's a We're going to have to have a serious oh talk after we're done with this episode. To make it up to you, maybe we can watch some of the presumably awful Dick Tracy adaptations for the show. <laughs> you mean like the serial or like the TV uh, series? Or are you interested in like the Warren Beatty uh, version from, I think, 1990? Whatever you want, baby. <laughs> Calling my bluff. Exactly. So he goes, Ellery Queen goes to... Basically, the reason they do Ellery Queen as a character is because they want to give Ellery a chance to be included among the suspects. He goes, uh, he starts yelling at the people in the comic book office. He's trying to find the editor, and he gets uh, kind of shifted from one person, one staffer to another in the comic book office. And this is basically uh, a visit from the exposition fairy to tell us Oh, here's this person who works the comic books. Here's what his job is. Here's this person. Here's what his job is. So there's a letterer, a background artist, a shader. I don't know. I don't know the roles. I'm, I'm not sure they know the roles. Typically in comic books, it'd be uh, somebody who pencils it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and generally speaking, at least back in the 40s, uh, pencil lines could not reproduce well uh, using the cheap methods of printing that comic books are printed by. So then you have someone else go over the pencil lines with ink. So you have a penciler, an inker, uh, a colorist, and a letterer. So the colorist basically writes numbers to indicate what colors go where? Yeah. But on this show, they had like a layout artist, a yeah. background artist. They didn't understand how it really works. Somebody who applies Ben Ray dots, uh, a letterer. Can I ask, what's the what's in the business or what has traditionally been the most prestigious of those roles going going through it? Is there one that's like, oh, this is the, the ticket to the big leagues? 
Uh, in comics, the most prestigious thing, certainly back in that era, would be if you had your own comic strip, like a Dick Tracy. So if you were Chester Gould and you wrote and drew Dick Tracy, and had fortune a, to be made. Had a little graveyard in your backyard with all your dead characters. <laughs> That's how you know you've made it. Yeah, Chester Gould had a graveyard in his backyard for all the villains who died in the strip. That's honestly iconic. I love that. That's so weird. I think that's very, that's charming. <laughs> very creepy, but charming. <laughs> Carrot, he, you know, he knew the, you know, he, knew, <laughs> what? He, he always remembered where he came from. The villains who made him an iconic artist. So what, so... So none of the roles of like letterer versus inker that doesn't people they're all on the same level. Well, I wouldn't say that, but uh, a letterer is just the person who literally writes in the words that you read. I would suck at that because my handwriting sucks. People, be like, what the fuck does this say? <laughs> An inker has some creativity, but to a large extent, he's you know just making the penciler's lines reproducible. What about the person who does the colors? That's not considered a creative work at all, really. That's just like anybody can do that. Uh, in the 70s, sometimes a comic book writer who wasn't making much money, he'd have his wife come in and color some comics. Oh, wow. Would you have me color your comics, or would you would you not trust me with that one? <laughs> So Ellery goes, he meets all these comic book staffers, your artists, your letterers, your inkers, your background artists, your uh, charming young secretary. And then he goes and he yells at the editor, played by Tom Bosley, Broadway star. Broadway's Tom Bosley. Yells at Tom Bosley, makes angry comments that sound vaguely threatening, and then he storms out, at which point Tom Bosley calls in all of his staff and tells them that he would rather have his four-year-old nephew working for him doing the comics but his the kid's mother wouldn't let him work with a group of second-rate hacks <laughs> he's a mean boss and he's not letting anyone out of their contracts and it's a bad working environment and he's also sexually harassing the secretary so he comes near raping her yeah he's really creepy so they're really setting him up to be a kind of like well he had a coming kind of kind of character but you know he's dead they're trying to create as many suspects as possible. Kevin said that part seemed realistic. <laughs> Lots of bad editors in the comic book industry. Yeah. So at some point, he's shot to death during the night. Uh, police find him slumped over his desk. The only sort of seeming clue is that... Well, we should say for some reason... Oh, okay. Usually the panels you see on a comic book page are all drawn on one page. But for some reason, the Ellery Queen comic book, each individual panel is drawn on its own full page. He said, we want this one to be big. <laughs> and so on his desk in front of him are four page size panels from the Ellery Queen comic book. So please proceed. That'll be important later. So um, they on one of those pages, basically the guy, uh, a study in Scarlet style, 
uh, crossed out line of dialogue with his blue pencil. And it the it, it basically seems to be drawing attention to the dialogue, which is like, Hey, I'm Ellery Queen! So everyone thinks, oh, he was indicating that Ellery Queen was the murderer. Even though he's crossing it out, so... That, that raised my eyebrows from the beginning. Also, we know that Ellery Queen isn't the murderer. He's just a lovable, awkward novelist guy. He's not gonna... He's not gonna kill anybody, even even if they're going to make him look like a fool in the comic books industry. This is when Flanagan makes his uh, debut in the See, episode. See, he'd love it if they made a comic book about him, don't you think? Sure. Yeah, he, he probably just wanted to switch with Ellery. I think he's basically Walter Winchell, right? Oh. Isn't Flanagan basically Walter Winchell? Because he has... At one point, he's, like, doing little Winchell-like one-liners to his secretary to put in his column. Who's Walter Winchell? Uh, Walter Winchell was a very controversial uh, newspaper columnist from the, the 40s, kind of a bad guy. He also narrated the Untouchables TV show. He was a, how, well, how was he a bad guy? No one bad ever was a journalist. <laughs> You're so For no naive. one who was a journalist was ever bad. Right? Right? That's right, little Annie. Uh, All reporters are good. Yay. Princes among men. Yay. Everybody loves a reporter. Wait, who is this? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not very well versed on, like, you know, journalistic history, to be honest, beyond a couple of specific things. But what, what happened? What, what, who, why was he bad? He was kind of sleazy. Uh, kind of racist. Oh, just, ew, he uh, sounds terrible. Yeah. Boo. He's kind of like Flanagan. Flanagan's not a racist, or at least he's not making racist comments in this. <laughs> to be In their version of 1940s or 1950s New York, whatever it's supposed to be, didn't appear to be any people of color. Not at all. It's a very white show. Very white show. Now, now in this... That might not be every episode. I don't know, but in this in this episode, I don't think there was a single person of color in any sort of role. So yeah, that that's one that's one drawback to this. But um, there were some working class people. Yeah, but there was a clean lady there, and her uh, husband who keeps, was always phoning in tips to Flanagan. Yeah, getting a saw buck <laughs> for his troubles. You give saw bucks to your sources? No, I don't pay my sources. <laughs> that's not ethical. <laughs> <laughs> I just text my sources random questions about how things are going at their jobs. You never offer them a saw buck I never or a offer fin. them a saw buck. I don't. A fin? Not a fin. Not even a fin. <laughs> oh, my God. So, oh, man. When you said a controversial reporter, I thought it was going to be something charming like uh, Mike Royko getting into it with Indianapolis. <laughs> Saying it's a pathetic city. <laughs> Just he kind of acts like Winchell. At one point, he he has some bad joke that he calls a Flanaganism, and didn't Winchell do that? See, so you keep asking me yeah. about it, and I don't know. Well, I prefer this Flanagan character to I'm I'm sure I would the the real life Walter Winchell if he was a racist and also not a nice guy. Uh, from Mr. Winchell's uh, Wikipedia entry, he was known for an innovative style of gossipy staccato news briefs, jokes, and jazz-edged slang. 
Doesn't that sound like one uh, Flanagan? Oh, no. He'd refer to things. He initiated the term Winchellism. See, if you knew all of this, <laughs> then why were you saying that I was Flanagan? Were you saying I'm Walter Winchell and I'm like a racist or something? What's wrong with you? If you play back the tape, you're the one that says, oh, Kevin, you're Ellery Queen and I'm Flanagan. no. No, you were like, oh, you do this. This is like you. <laughs> when he's running around making a fool of himself and doing all this weird 1940s reporter shit. So you're just saying, I was a noted racist. Thanks a lot, Kevin. You're not a I'm racist. I'm your wife. <laughs> you're not a racist. You're a friend to anyone of any age, race, creed, or color. That's a terrible, ugh. But anyway, Flanagan gets a hold of the story through the uh, cleaning woman's husband, runs a piece called Cop Shields Kin on Broadway Beat, uh, and then uh, kind of comes and pesters uh, Ellery's dad, saying uh, one line I liked was, wasn't your kid mad when that comic strip artist comic stripped him of his dignity? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, complains about getting the bums rush as a member of the fourth estate. <laughs> and refers to, in the article, Ellery Queen's dad as an NYP dick. <laughs> they got that one in past the censors. <laughs> well, detectives were called dicks. I know they were called dicks, but by the 70s wasn't... Didn't that term did that term evolve to mean something else? What else did it mean? Uh... <laughs> So, um, then at some point, so Flanagan also gets a book in the mail by Ellery Queen called The Purloined Gun. And so. And apparently we, we're not really told what the plot of this book is. No, but he is he has a Flanagan hunch that it's something that's going to be so scooperific that it's going to singe his eyes. I love this character. Oh, I'm just going to have to pretend the basis of it isn't so bad. Well, it just, he wasn't, you know, there's this uh, African-American singer named Josephine Baker that he got into it with. And so I, I kind of felt it, it was uh, his, uh, it was a little bit racist on his part. He was very good as a narrator of The Untouchables. That is one show that, like, you'd think that you and I would both like, and then we tried watching it separately. Yeah, not even before we met each other. Yeah, before we met each other, we tried watching it. Because we both separately, before we met each other, were basically like, oh, this sounds extremely my shit. And then we looked at it. That was exactly what I thought. Yeah, that's what you thought. (laughs) And it was so boring. (laughs) Maybe we just didn't hit the right episodes, but I remember being like, God, this is a slog. What were people ranting and raving about? It was the 60s. Maybe they didn't have any other thing Yeah, to, they didn't know watch. how to make TV or something. It was just... Yikes. Do you think we should give it another try? Maybe. Maybe there's, like, a really good episode. I could see it having, like, a good episode, but I just... I didn't see that episode. <laughs> um. So... We're really off the rails here. Yeah, we're really off the rails. Okay, let's go back. So, Ellery gets arrested. No, he doesn't. Oh, I'm sorry. No, he... You, you take it away. Maestro. So Ellery reads that Flanagan is basically accusing him of murder and suggesting. (laughs) 
And also, Flanagan is a recurring character who we'll see again, and I guess they're just okay with that he, like, railroaded him in the press. Yeah, so Flanagan basically <laughs> accuses him of murder and suggests that his father, the police inspector, is covering up for him. And so Ellery, in an effort to help out, he comes down to police headquarters with some pajamas and a toothbrush, indicating his willingness to go into a jail cell. And what's odd about this is that typically people don't go into jail cells unless they've actually been formally arrested. Charges have been filed against them, habeas corpus, such things as that. I don't believe in, in the episode Ellery was actually formally charged with murder. He's just a dutiful little guy. He's just hanging out in a jail cell reading comic books. Well, once the picture of the the comic book company secretary pointing at him as the suspect runs on the front page of the tabloid that Flanagan works for, I guess maybe he figures don't wanna don't wanna embarrass my dad any further. But yeah, it doesn't make sense. Also, when you think about it, if you actually like think about this plot, boil it down and say, uh, you know, mystery writer is suspect, and then his dad is the guy tasked with investigating it. Wouldn't they? Isn't this such a big conflict of interest that they would take Inspector Queen off of the case? Yeah, you'd think so. You'd think so. So the the NYPD brass keeps on popping up in this episode, being like, "Oh, we don't want a scandal. We don't. It has to look fair, Queen." And it's like, "Well, why don't you just take him off the case? <laughs> what are we doing here?" <laughs> Can you imagine in real life if this happened? It would be such a scandal. So, like, Michael Connolly's dad. He's <laughs> like a cop. The, the head of the cops, the police the inspector. The, yeah, the chief. Michael Connolly lives with him. God damn. That's so dumb. And Michael Connolly is suddenly suspected of a murder. I'd watch this. I'd watch this reboot. <laughs> But, like, nowadays we're, you know, we're more suspicious of maybe police misconduct and stuff like that. You know, the the episode plot is, like, giving off huge red flags, but you're just like, ah, whatever. Because, you know, old Inspector Queen's yeah, not going to do anything unethical. He's not going to do anything unethical. Nor is the maestro. He ends up just situated in his little cell, in his jammies, reading all these comic books and drinking milk. And I was like, that's Kevin. You'd be in jail and be like, I'll use it to buy time to catch up on some comics. That's what jail's like, right? It's not like jail. He's just like staying in a shitty hotel room, essentially, with bars instead of walls. He's apparently the only prisoner. Yeah, he doesn't have any to wor worry about any uh, local toughs stealing his comic books. Or even worse, giving him the old shiv. <laughs> oh, man. Um... But anyways, meanwhile... Now, if you were in, like, a women's uh -huh. prison... Uh-huh. Well, let's save that for later. If I were in a women... Are you planning something, sir? <laughs> planning to... So what happened next for an episode? Uh, well, life is continuing on at the comic book uh, firm, and essentially the letterer has made a, uh, you know, play to become the head editor now, and they're doing... Instead of a mystery comic, they're dropping the whole Ellery Queen idea... And basically going with, uh, like, like a cute animal comic book for the kids. And everyone's upset because this guy's not letting them out of their contracts now. Meanwhile, uh, 
Flanagan breaks into Hillary Queen's apartment. Because somebody sent him this book, which apparently involved a gun being purloined and put into a fish tank. And so Flanagan figures, well, this means perhaps the murder weapon in this real life case is actually in the apartment of the police inspector. So I know what I'll do. I'll break in and find it. So what is the worst crime you've committed to get a story? My lawyer says I can't discuss that. <laughs> I, I've never <laughs> committed a single crime. I wouldn't break in anywhere. Actually, we, you and I both trespass. So uh, what happened next to the... <laughs> You and I both are guilty of trespassing, as you know. But I think the statute of limitations has passed on that, right? Sure. Yeah. That happened like 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Long before we even met. <laughs> we trespassed together before we even knew each other. <laughs> One of those wacky, serendipitous circumstances. But, yeah, no, uh, you're not really supposed to do crimes while reporting. And by not really supposed to, I mean not supposed to at all. It's not allowed. Like somebody like wag their finger at you if you had committed a crime. I mean, weren't weren't they committing crimes in in the UK with, with the you know news of the world stuff where they were like hacking murder victims' families' phones and shit? Wow, reporters are really monsters. Sometimes they can be. See, I I don't I don't do PR for my industry like you do for yours. Anytime I make a crap about lawyers, you're like. You're like, oh, lawyers are the little gentlemen of the world. And I'll say, no, there's some bad reporters out there. Name them. You shouldn't trust them. You should only trust me. <laughs> and the good folks at Inside. <laughs> nah, most of them are okay. <laughs> most of the fourth estate are just a bunch of hacks doing their job. Hacks? Isn't that what, isn't that what we're called? Isn't hack like a pejorative term? Yeah, but I think it's like it's like hacks and flax. People call themselves that. Now, is that because uh, you're a reporter or because you're moonlighting as a taxi driver? <laughs> Both in my case. <laughs> I could see that you being like, oh, Anya, like our car's not working. I got to I got to I got to just, you know, like call a cab service or something. And I'd be like, OK, Kevin, bye. And then, like, you get, like, black car pulls up and I leave. Cab driver turns around and it's me. That sounds like something you'd pull. Like, you'd intentionally disable our car just yeah. to make that bit work. I would, I would literally go to those lengths. I would steal a car. <laughs> or, you know, maybe drive one out of the lot illegally. And So you wouldn't commit a crime to get a no. story that could potentially change the world for the better. No. But you would commit any crime for a, a silly little any bit. Any crime under under like you know like fe like felon or like let's say you know violent crimes. <laughs> if it's not violent, I'll do it just for a gag. <laughs> just to fuck with you, Kevin. The lucky man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but anyway, Flanagan's hunch turns to be scooperific indeed because he discovers this this gun and the murder weapon in uh, the Queen's fish tank. So this 
the murderer then obviously has come up with an interesting scheme where he sends, he goes, he reads through Ellery Queen's entire corpus. Although I guess some of the comic book writers did read Ellery Queen novels and write down the plots. But he figures out a, a book that has a similar plot, sends it to Flanagan, and then he breaks into the home of a police inspector, which is itself a very serious crime, for the express purpose of putting a gun in the fish tank. Now, isn't there an easier way? See, at this point, Ellery's being held just on threatening the comic book publisher, so he's already in deep shit, you know? You don't really have to overdo it to this extent so yeah and wouldn't you assume it'd be pretty hard to break into the home of a police inspector wouldn't you assume he has some pretty good security isn't. i also wouldn't expect that a police inspector they like live in like a little palatial kind of like big ass apartment with all these books and nice furniture well don't you assume some of that was purchased with the earnings of one successful crime novelist named ellery queen perhaps perhaps why is he living with his dad though they're just two fellas just having a nice time two gents there's nothing wrong with being close to your parents. No, definitely not. But I, it's it's a little. I, was he, and this is in the '40s, so it's like, is he gonna get? Is World War II going on, or is it just over? Who knows? I guess it's post-war. Yeah, it ma- that makes sense. They seem too relaxed. <laughs> There's no Nazi saboteurs. Mm-hmm. So at some point, the secretary starts looking like a promising suspect because her alibi essentially falls apart. She said she was with her nerdy boyfriend watching some show with a, you know, a dog vaudeville act or something. Milton Berle. So I guess that proves his post-war because Milton Berle obviously didn't begin his run on the Texaco Star Theater until post-war era. Mr. Television, we called him. (laughs) Uncle Milty. Oh, God. Remember how you laughed and laughed whenever you saw him wearing his dress? <laughs> what the fuck is going on? I don't know. You don't know who Milton Burrow was? No. Okay. Well, you don't need to know. That's what you get for marrying a younger woman. <laughs> the stresses of an age gap relationship. You can literally make up names and make up activities. And I would be like, okay, I'll take your word for it. Milton Burrow was your Mr. Television. Oh, you don't remember the Fillmore Bridges Act? His famous, that famous dandy and his tightrope trapeze act. You could literally make shit up. And I'd be like, all right. Uh, Milton Burrow, besides being uh, Mr. Television, dressing as a woman, he was... Uh, should I say this? He was also uh, known throughout show business, very well known for having uh, a large uh, male sexual organ. A large penis? Yes. I was trying to be discreet. Well, we're all adults here. It's, yes. an, it's an explicitly rated show. Um, How did people find out? And how do you know that, Kevin? <laughs> it's very well known. And like he would, he would offer to show it to people. Like comedy writers and stuff, you know, you want to see it. So apparently, it Would was. They say yes. Wouldn't you? No. The famous uh, Burl member. Would you? 
Wouldn't you? Would you? No, I already said no. So you're saying we're, if, we're if you had a lot about each other here. If you had a chance to see Mel Burl's penis, you just say no. A man I didn't know existed until we had this conversation. Isn't that like a, a story you could dine out on for the rest of your life? Call your grandkids, have them sit on your knee, and say, guess what, little uh, Johnny? Are, have we met? <laughs> you think I'm in the business of wanting to see other men's penises just because they're well-reputed in Hollywood? Do you think I'm a tart, a trollop? <laughs> Is this what you're saying about your own wife? So Milton Berle and, and Forrest Tucker. Those are the ones you hear the most about. Forrest Tucker, of course, you know Why best. Why do you know? This. You know him best from his role on TV's F Troop. Why do you know so much about Hollywood dicks? It's well known. What, you know you? I'm interested in old time Hollywood. I didn't know you were this interested, Kevin. Now I have some concerns. I've told you stuff like this. I've told you about Danny Thomas. What did you tell me about Danny Thomas? Danny Thomas was sad. He he would he would hire. Uh, like a prostitute who would be given ample warning and would eat sp certain things to prepare herself, then he would get underneath a glass table and he would have the prostitute stand over, perhaps sit on let's the just, glass let's, table. Let's, let's, just, let's just stop. Let's just stop there. I told you that, haven't I? Yeah, let's just stop there. It's too disgusting for this show. Good God. I think you know what I think. I you know what I think. Old time Hollywood needed a a cold, fucking shower of kink shaming. That's what they needed. <laughs> Bunch of fucking perverts. Jesus Christ. Everyone's showing each other each other's dicks and doing all sorts of disgusting depravity. Disgusting. You're so innocent. I wish that you could just forget about some of that stuff you read about. <laughs> See, those are the details that once you read them in a book, they just stick in your mind forever. How could you forget it? See, I'm not like you. I don't give a shit about old... I mean, like, I don't really care about old Hollywood, so that's the kind of stuff I'd be like, well, I'm gonna... I'm gonna <laughs> just, just wipe that out of my mind. <laughs> So if you heard details like that about someone more contemporary, would that stick in your mind? I don't really, I don't really typically get that into celeb news or anything. And I've never read anything contemporary where they're like, oh, this guy had a big dick. <laughs> I mean, as sleazy as celeb stuff gets now, I, I've never heard of that. But I also don't seek it out because I don't care. And, you know, it's just. Who cares? I always enjoy the sordid detail. I guess sometimes I get into history and this like gruesome or strange or sordid details in that sometimes. Yeah, you've told me some wild stories about historical figures. Yeah, so maybe that's my celeb news instincts coming out. But as for like TV stars from the 40s. <laughs> Mr. Television. Texaco Star Theater. Mr. Television. And it's one of those things that he was very popular, I think, because there was really nothing else on. Right. And so at some point he was so popular, NBC gives him like a 20-year contract. But his 
he wasn't funny and he was known for stealing jokes and it's some just a guy dressing as a woman and putting on a dress that's not funny that's not funny so if you watch that material now or if god forbid you watch him from his later appearances in tv and the movies you won't crack a smile (laughs) fucking bleak he's just a, a pathetic figure who stole jokes all he had going for him was his dick. <laughs> but that you'll grant him. That... <laughs> As you cross your legs. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. See, yeah, like I don't I like that's that's why I don't read about old Hollywood. I don't want to know that shit. Isn't it fascinating? <laughs> no. Don't you love the sordid stories? I mean, how can you not be interested? Well, apparently the secretary in this in this episode wasn't because she didn't actually watch Milton Burl. Is that, is that the word? Milton, whatever the dude's name is we were just talking about with the big dick. I, I just Googled Milton Burl penis. There's an awful lot of material on it out there. Uh, Jack A. Harry confirms that Milton Berle had a huge penis because he showed it to her. But let's move on. Yes, let's. Men. Well, it's an interesting tidbit. Y'all are just obsessed with them. <laughs> the fact that there's a huge body of work about this. Don't you find it interesting? No, <laughs> not at all. It was legendary. That's what he was best known for. As you said, people didn't know what entertainment was back then. I don't know when it became known about his penis. That's something we'd have to research. (laughs) Oh, we have to research. We have to put our heads together to figure this out. We're fucking dick detectives. We're NYP dicks. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds delightful. That's how I want to spend my life. Researching some long dead hacks dick. It sounds kind of fun, doesn't it? No. That Cliff Nesteroff would know, the comic historian. Anyways, the secretary wasn't watching this long-dicked dude, and she gets uh, arrested because her alibi falls apart, essentially, is what you need to know. So everyone's... Now, now Ellery's out of the of the clink, but he is, uh, you know, he doesn't think she did it. So he has a mystery to solve. He says, oh, I finally figured out what the X over the words, uh, I'm Ellery Queen. I, I figured out what it means. And he turns to the camera. Well, no, well, I'll say he, he Flanagan is what supplies him with the knowledge. What does Flanagan say? Flanagan calls his, he, Flanagan runs a column without apologizing to Ellery for basically accusing him of murder and trying <laughs> him in the press. But they're still okay with him after that, I guess. And... Uh, he, he, uh, when, when, uh, Inspector Queen calls him out on it, he's, he apologizes by way of saying his city editor is a dirty rat. Uh, he took a blue pencil to, uh, the apology portion, the apology graph at the end of his column and it got, got, uh, X'd out essentially. And, um, and that makes Ellery realize, oh, you know, in, in editing a blue pencil means you're going to cut something. So. He's going to figure it out. So I figured it out. Did you just say the opposite of me just to say the opposite, or did you figure it out too? I I just 
I said the opposite because I, I wanted one of us to be right. Okay. But so you didn't you didn't figure it out. <coughs> you figured it out. I did not. I figured it out, guys. My my first fair play mystery, you know, in, impactful win here. Um, I figured okay if if this if the murder victim just crossed out with blue pencil the letters, then that means it was everybody except the letterer who did it. Sort of a murder on the Orient Express style execution. And I was right. It was all the guys you didn't really care about because they're barely characters and they were just appeared as a group of three. They were the killers. The end. And they wanted to uh, basically uh, get out of their contracts and they were pissed at their boss for being an asshole. So have you ever worked in an office where you were such close friends with your office mates that you would even consider committing murder together? Definitely not. Also would never consider committing a murder. <laughs> My favorite part of this ending, I will say, is that life imitates art because uh, at, at one, one of the comic book artists who's getting arrested is like, I won't go down alive, and Ellery Queen punches him in the face. And the secretary is like, wow, golly, what a what a guy. But then he, just like the comic books. Just like the comic books, but he immediately hurts his hand and is, is upset about it. So I thought that was cute. And that's kind of it. That's the sort of the final panel. What's your five-star final take? Well, how did you like this one? I I think the uh, the actors are charming. I love Jim Hutton. I love David Wayne. Flanagan was a fun character. Uh, so I enjoyed the episode on that level. The actual story? It's not that strong. No. No, it's actually pretty weak. Pretty dumb. It's dumb. All of these are all all the Ellery Queens I've seen so far have been dumb but still likable. So it's like, I, I'd enjoy watching more of the show, but I can't say it was a good episode. Here's the thing, though. It's it's kind of interesting because it's like really so much does depend on the charmingness of the characters and the actors and the kind of just the illusion that things are moving along and that you're having fun. You know, it, it, it's so much of that. It's not it's not a good mystery. It's not it's not an intricately crafted story or particularly engaging good story but it's like we're hanging out with people that we like so we're happy yeah basically yes that's the appeal of the show i guess shows are a lot like life in that way oh now you're getting philosophical as you gaze well, out you know you always say to me like you know we might get stuck in traffic and we'll still have a good time because we'll be chatting together yes so it's, it's sort of like that as long as you're with people you like you might have a good time. It might not be the best time, but it'll... Are you saying it's not the best time in the world when you're stuck with me in traffic? Uh, no, of course not, Kevin. I know that time's special to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that despite its draw-by-the-numbers premise, this episode of Ellery Queen still manages to be, in the words of one journalist, Flanagan, Soxational. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. 
We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O.